0: Good morning everyone. How are we doing this morning? Great. Look at someone near you and say, you made my day by sitting next to me today. Do that, would you? Just sitting near me made my day. Even if it's not true, do it anyway. I'm glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn. So revel, Revelation, Romans chapter 12, this is going to kick off a new series, I promise we'll get to this passage in a few moments. It's a new series called Rewired, to no longer be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds or our attitudes, and we're going to go on a journey over these next six or seven weeks together as, uh, as we are processing and as we're learning and growing together. This series actually started for me a couple of months ago. It was early August, I think early August, late June or July. As I was processing where we were going to be going as a congregation, and I actually had, the team will tell you, I actually had the messages kind of I've been, had series I wanted to do this fall, and kind of knew where I was going on this whole thing. But as I obviously, as we live in the, the COVID reality and all that had been happening, I was just simply paying attention to culture. And it just began to trouble my heart that I felt like there were some things that I needed to say to the church, the body of Christ, and wanted to be able just to kind of share as we take a look at this. And I I don't know about you all, but um, I noticed that I was beginning to kind of get into a little bit of a funk. And so last month we took some time just to talk as a pastor to his, his congregation about what it means to be the body of Christ, the family of God, how God wants to do some things through us that God just isn't going to do any other way. He's chosen us to be plan A to accomplish these things in the world. And then I started thinking about how important it was for us to think differently than everyone else thinks that as we look into this whole thing of taking on challenge and change. And it actually came uh, from a thought that I had from a movie I saw years ago. I'm one of those guys who's very audio-visual driven. Encounters with people I kind of remember, and I remember movies a lot. And this was the movie, Dances with Wolves. Main character was uh, John Dunbar, Lieutenant John Dunbar, played by Kevin Costner. And uh, as I was reflecting on Lieutenant John Dunbar, he was uh, to be stationed, by his request, out in a far western post. It was the furthest reach of the military. He wanted to serve, and he wanted to see the west before it was gone. He wanted to see Indians. He wanted to see Buffalo before all of that was gone, and so he uh, goes out into this post, he gets to the outpost, if you know the movie, and the post is empty. It's been abandoned, I guess because of a, of a fight or some conflict that took place. Everybody abandoned post. It was completely, it was dilapidated, by the way, and he begins to settle in, and he gets into some bad habits. Um, he really doesn't take care of himself that much, he doesn't shave, he doesn't really Keep himself cleaned up like you would think an officer in the military would be. And in one encounter in this whole thing, as he's trying to get things kind of tidied up, uh, those who are a scouting mission of of, uh, tribesmen, they look down, see his horse, they try to take his horse, and he has a weird encounter with them, and, and that kind of is a turning point for him. And he's always writing in his journal, and in his journal, he writes down these thoughts. I realize now that I have been wrong all this time. I have been waiting. Waiting for what? For someone to find me? For Indians to take my horse? To see a buffalo? Since I have arrived at this post, I have been walking on eggshells, and I'm sick of it. Tomorrow I will ride out to the Indians, I don't know about the wisdom of this thinking, but I've become a target, and a target makes a poor impression. I am through waiting. And it doesn't take too much to reflect on that statement to kind of identify that I think that a lot of people, in fact, a lot of believers, have taken this last seven months and it's easy to get a target mentality. It's easy to get kind of a victim mentality, and woe is me, and I, I, I believe, that this is just me telling you, you start feeling sorry for yourself, and the Lord kind of woke me up a couple of months ago and said, hey, look at this as an opportunity, not as a tragedy. Now, certainly tragedy, people's lives being lost, but you are the church, and the church should be leading, not following. The church should have answers When others don't have answers, the body of Christ needs to be light into the world. And so what is it that God may be giving you opportunity to do that otherwise you never would have had a chance to do? And so I realized that it takes a different kind of a mindset. And this passage really stuck out to me because Paul says, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a new attitude that you could actually translate it attitude, that there needs to be a transformation that takes place. The word morphe, transformation, it's like a butterfly metamorphosis. It means to have internal changes in such a way that they permeate into how we look outside. It's not about trying harder. It's about a transformation that begins with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers as we surrender to him. And it makes sense because Paul talks about having a new mind, a new mindset. He talks about that quite often in Scripture. Philippians chapter 2, he says, Let this mind be also in you that is in Jesus Christ. In other words, you should have the same mind, the same thought pattern that Jesus has. Um, he says in Ephesians chapter 3, I think it's verse, or chapter 4 verse 23. He says, uh, don't live this way. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He talks a lot about this whole thing. Not just about a heart change, but a way you think change. In fact, I love it because in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul gives a litany of individuals, evildoers, if you will, that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he kind of goes down through a list. And then he says, and that's what some of you were, But you have been washed, you have been sanctified, you have been justified by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He says there's a washing that takes place. And so people say, well, you're a believer, you know, you've been brainwashed. Yes, I've been brainwashed. I hope you've been brainwashed. I've been washed by the Spirit of God, transformed. There ought to be a cleaning that takes place. And I think differently today than what I used to think. And it's easy to slide back into conformity with the way the world thinks about things rather than how Christ wants me to think about them. By the way, just as an introduction, we're going to get to that Romans chapter 12 passage. But as an introduction to that, one of the passages that when I pray before a service, I pray it almost every week. You may not realize it, but I always pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal the deep things of God. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Well, in that passage as he comes to the conclusion of it, the Holy Spirit reveals these deep truths of God to us because why? We have the mind of Christ. And when you have the mind of Christ, almost like it would be interesting, Marshall, for us to switch brains. You know, if you, if you switch brains with somebody, it, it, it has a way of changing you a little bit. First of all, you're going to see through a different set of eyes. You're going to look at things differently. When I was... Um, When I was a kid, I I think since I was in either second grade or third grade, I have wore glasses. And other than a short amount of time at the end of my senior year and a few years ago when I discovered the new kinds of soft lenses that you can have for contact lenses, I have always wore glasses. By the way, when you're over 40 and you discover contacts for the first time, what what you don't realize is when you put them in, it accentuates how bad your bifocal vision is, and you have to wear glasses anyway. So I just decided I got to wear them anyway. I might as well go ahead and keep wearing them. I just see better with glasses. And they become a habit. You just know they're there. You know, you just kind of, you feel weird when they're not there. I sleep with my glasses on. I do. And the reason is because I want to see what time it is when I wake up in the middle of the night. You know how hard it is to see across the room and that little red blur, And but I do this, I can always see it. And so usually about 3 or 3.30 when I wake up, and then I take my glasses off and I put them next to me. It drives my wife nuts. And yes, you're saying, well, don't you ever break your glasses doing that? Of course I do. That's why I have eight <laughs> extra pair of glasses that I keep. In the column of my truck right now, there are eight pair of spare glasses just in case because I see them. Or not. So anyway, back in eighth grade, my mom did something for me that I didn't realize actually how generous it really was. She allowed me to get transition lenses. This is way back. This is like, what, 30 some years, 38 years ago. I mean, they must have been somewhat new. And I wanted transition lenses. And so for the next six years, any I walked outside, I immediately had sunglasses on. Every every sporting uh, picture that I have, all the teams I was on, we were outside, always had sunglasses on. I just always had sunglasses. And they were so natural, I didn't even realize they were sunglasses. When you walk inside, it always stayed dark for a little while because they weren't very quick back in those days. But to this day, I really don't like bright, sunny days because they, they kind of mess my eyes up. And I, I, I like a little overcast. I like a little bit of, a, just a little bit of cloud cover. And, and, and it's interesting, it tainted everything. Everything I looked at looked different because of the lenses that I had. When you come to Christ, you receive the Spirit of God. Spirit of God begins to do a transformation in your, in your life. You're going to have like a different set of glasses and you ought to start looking at things differently than what you did before. I ought to also have a different value system. Colossians Paul says set your heart on things above not on earthly things and since you have Christ set your mind on things above. So not just how you feel about things but how you how you think about things set them on heavenly things. That doesn't mean that I'm always just thinking about heaven. It means that if it's important to God, it ought to become important to me and I ought to start valuing things differently and I value them based upon does God value this thing? It changes my value system. So i got to be honest with you, a big transformation in my life, not that I don't like money, not that I don't care for money, but money became the, was, was no longer the guiding force in my life when I put on a new mind. And then the final one is, I actually begin to look at eternal things different. Because now I'm thinking of that which lasts forever instead of that which only lasts for a short time. That's why Paul says, don't think about or look at just that which is seen, but look toward the unseen. Look toward that which is eternal. Now all of that in mind, we come over now to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and we look at the impact that a transformed mind will have on a person's life. And he starts in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Say that phrase with me, would you? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to attest and approve what God's will is, His pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves as more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given to you. Just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. The first impact of a transformed mind that I see in this passage is that I'm going to begin to live with a sense of gratitude. There should be a sense of gratitude as I begin to think about things differently. And you're saying, well, how do you know that? It's the very first words. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's what? Mercy. Mercy. That is a gratitude word because mercy says God hasn't given me what I deserve. And oh, by the way, grace means he's given me way more than I did deserve, and they're the flip side of the same coin, and you're saying, well, why did he say therefore? Because the previous 11 chapters, and specifically the previous five verses, he's reflecting back on all that God has done and how that ought to bring a sense of gratitude. He talks about the fact, in fact, if you know the Roman road, if you've ever heard the Roman road, you're going to know a lot of these verses. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But do you know the rest of it? God has justified us by His grace. He is just, he's made us right with God by His grace in Jesus Christ. Romans what? 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But you know the rest of it? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. On the one side, he talks about what we deserve. On the other side, he shows what God has graciously given us in his mercy, in his grace. You come into chapter 7, he says, woe am I. I am a sinful man, and I deserve to be bound in slavery. Chapter 8, verse 1. But now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Who releases me from this life of sin? It's, it's Jesus Christ who does this. And he celebrates. And so he says, when you realize you've been set free, when you realize you've been forgiven and you don't deserve it, when you realize that it's only by his gift, he says, how can that not give you a life of gratitude? No matter what else is happening. And by the way, if you've ever met a person who lives with a spirit of gratitude, They're different, and they have an impact on you. Imagine the impact you have on the world around us when you live with a sense of gratitude. Out of that sense of gratitude takes us to number two. Number two, transformation area number two. You're going to begin to look at ownership and by virtue, worship different. And I'm going to put them together. I hope it'll make sense. Look what it says in verse... uh, The rest of verse 1. In view of God's mercy, offer, say offer with me, would you? Offer. We take in offering. It means to give God. Offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And I put ownership and I put worship together because genuine worship is understanding who really owns me. And when I offer myself, what I am doing is I am surrendering. I am yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I am asking for the spirit of God to to take over and lead my life and it is my spiritual form he says of worship and people love to talk about worship and Wesley and I have talked a lot about worship and we talk about songs and we talk about prayer and we talk about services and service structure and places and that is that is a that is that is an aspect of worship but Genuine worship is just simply the natural byproduct of a person who walks daily with Christ. Pastor Bruce and I, this last week, we were chatting as we were talking about some of the services he was involved in, and uh, I don't know why, just started thinking about Brown City Camp, and I said, why do you think it is? that every year at Brown City Camp, we see, a, a, it seems like a wonderful move of God, and there's some powerful stories that come out of it. And I said, and you know, it's not even really 10 days. It's really, for most people, it's almost a seven-day experience. And I said, why do you think it is that we see that happening? And I answered my own question. And I said, I mean, you could say, um, you could say it's because of all the prayer that goes into Brown City Camp. I'm sure that has a, a major impact on it. I don't happen to think it's because of their sacred grounds. I don't, I don't think that. I don't think it's because of the tabernacle or sitting on hard benches. You know, I guess it could. Maybe pay more attention. I don't know. I don't think it's. But what I, what I really think it is, because there's nothing there, really. I mean, if you've been there, you have the fragrant offering from the farmer next door, and that's about it. If you've been there, that's funny. If you haven't been there, somebody will tell you later what that means. I think it's because a week, two weeks, four weeks, and even two months in advance, people begin to anticipate they're going to have an encounter with God. Anticipation is really another name for faith. And I said to Pastor Bruce, what do you think would happen if every week, as congregants, we began to anticipate an encounter? And that we're going to anticipate God when an encounter with God when we come into worship or We're going to anticipate God's going to answer prayer when we come together in prayer. We anticipate that God's going to change a life when we begin to share Christ. We begin to anticipate. And it is amazing what anticipation does. It is an attitudinal adjustment that brings about tremendous change. And I'll never forget what Steve Deneff said a number of years ago at at Brown City Camp. Steve Deneff said, Why is it that we today worship and do worship better than at any time in the history of the church? And yet there is a greater disconnect than ever before in our obedience. When obedience is Daily, genuine spiritual worship. Number three, transformation in the way that I think is going to begin to impact in the way that I make choices and decisions. Notice what he says in this passage. He says, after all of this, he says, verse three, then you, okay, so walk in gratitude and full surrender. Offering yourself fully and unconditionally to the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The insinuation in the inferences is that you're going to want to know what God's will is. And not everybody does. But you should want to know what God's will in a situation is. Whether it's my dating relationship, whether it's my my financial uh, uh, happenings, whether it's my career, whether it's my calling, whether it's my ministry, whether it's where I should want to know what God's will is. And He says, when you are in gratitude, yielded in surrender, worshiping God in your fullness, you're going to know what God's will is. So he actually takes the pressure off because that fully surrendered life has a discerning spirit and he says you're going to be able to discern what God's will is. A couple of weeks ago I heard a really disturbing statistic. As a pastor I'm, I'm concerned about it. But I mean just as a, in a culture I'm concerned about it. And the the statistic was this, that in our last presidential election, 25 million evangelical Christians did not vote. They didn't participate. Statistically, if you just round that off to all Christians, a third, uh, 30 to 33% of all Christians who self-identify as Christians did not participate in the election process which means what well, that means that 30 some percent of those who supposedly right see with heavenly eyes have a mind toward the things of christ trying to discern the will of god were not involved in being salt and light in a process that affects everybody's lives and i know why i mean some people because of some health needs and some other reasons and sometimes things come up you didn't you know they're unexpected but a lot of people say, I just, I don't either. I don't think it's going to make a difference, or I didn't know who to vote for. And I'm reminded of, and by the way, I think, that, I think in that case, now because those are those who've already made up their minds. But, but, but in that case, I think of what Paul says in First Corinthians chapter six. I shared it with you a few weeks ago. I didn't think it applied to this, but it's interesting. In First Corinthians chapter six, Paul says. I can't believe that you guys are taking each other to court and you're going before a secular judge. And then he says this, wouldn't it be better to have somebody inside the body help you with judgment? Because then he says, appoint even people of no standing to serve as judges. The inference in that passage is because they're going to have better judgment Than even those that are of high standing that are outside who don't have the Spirit of God enabling and helping them in making decisions. Why? We have the mind of Christ. And so sitting down, I do this often with individuals and they say, Well, how do we vote? How do we do this? And believe me, I'd love to tell people how to vote. But it's interesting. I just simply say, Okay. If you're surrendered, you're seeking God's will, then sit down and think about the value system of heaven. And what are the five most important values or issues that you have? Hopefully they align. Hopefully they're, they're values slash issues. And then just see where candidates are on this stuff and be driven by that. And I know it's hard for some, but that's important to do. Why? Because we're, we have a different process of thinking through things. And you're saying, well, tell us, because after every service, I've had people come and tell me, but these are the most important ones. No, you know what? I trust you. I really do. I really trust you that as you're seeking God's will and you're asking the Spirit of God, to help you see most important values that they become pretty clear. And it's interesting, if you want some aid in that, we have, um, I don't think they're out there today, we're gonna have over the next couple of weeks, we have some voter guides that go through some things that we think are really important for believers to think about. Things like religious liberty and things like um, the right to, to life and that we think about all this stuff. And it's, by the way, I think there's climate in there, there's all kinds of things, social justice is in there, and it just simply, it just helps people to kind of see where different candidates are in these and wherever your things are the most important again I just simply ask Lord are these values that are on your heart because God has called us to be salt and light and that we're, that's how we do that number four it's going to impact the way that I view myself and others He says, uh, verse 3, he says, um, By the grace that is given, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather with sober judgment, which means what? But don't think of yourself more lowly than you ought. Think of yourself in an honest way. He says in verse 4, he says, he says just as many of us form um, one body, with, we have a body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. So I'm going to have you do something, and I don't want you to feel weird about it, so just kind of take a glance. Just look around you and just look at people. Okay, Just look around, just see people. In Christ, you belong to them, they belong to you. I will tell you that is a completely different way of thinking. Because we live in a world that says get everything you can, can everything you get, and then sit on your can. Right? You want to hold on to it. It's all about you. And Christ says, submit See each other highly and ranked highly. Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. That is a different way of thinking. And you start doing things for what's good for others rather than just what's good for yourself. Doesn't mean you never think about yourself, it just means you're looking differently. So I'm walking in gratitude I'm fully surrendered and my life becomes a worship service to Christ I actually want to know what he wants me to do and I will know what he wants me to do because I have the mind of Christ and I'm going to begin to look at others and myself through the lens the values and the mind of Christ, how can that not change the people around us? And how can that not be encouraging to those who are discouraged? And how can that not be hope in hopelessness? And how can that not be light in dark places? George Barna uh, is a Christian researcher. He's a Christian who happens to be a sociologist researcher. He studies culture. He's written a number of books, puts them out. puts them out all the time. And he, he wrote this, and I'll be honest with you, it's a little discouraging to pastors because he said in, uh, about two years ago, he said in all the research as they've looked at what brings about change in people's lives, he said pastors' sermons by and large do not change people's lives. And I know that. There are, there are usually a few sermons that will impact people right where they're at and it will be transformational. I've had that happen. I had first hour, I had a guy, she was funny. I preached a message years ago. It was the same message that was transformational for him. God used it in my own life as it did for him. But I recognize by tomorrow morning, I'm going to forget probably what I preached because I'm already going on to the next one. I understand that happens. But here's what brings about change in people's lives. Research shows that there are two things that change people a lot. Crisis and significant mentoring relationships. The greatest faith-related change happens in response to a cataclysmic event in a person's life, coupled with a strong and credible relationship with a believer Who gives guidance during the period of trauma mentoring beats preaching in most cases process that we live in a culture we live in a world that has come through a and is in a cataclysmic event and loss of life is horrendous but the body of Christ should have answers in those times and what if what if god is simply giving opportunity that as this is happening look at the people around you and see how you can come alongside and perhaps speak into their lives in a way you never could have before happened to me yesterday had somebody reach out to me it was don't come to our church really i mean i my, my influence is very small but it's interesting they reached out to me because of some hardship they've gone through and i had opportunity to simply stop pray and have influence and impact in their life and you can do this and i encourage you while being safe and smart and all those things allow God to rewire and not be conformed, but to be transformational by the renewing of our minds. I got to close it, but I love the story of um, the little fourth grade boys who were playing baseball. And the third baseman uh, had his hat pulled down. He had big old thing of bubble gum in his mouth and he's sitting there and as, as uh, he's playing the game, he just keeps doing this the whole time, going, come on, batter, come on, batter, swing, batter, hey, swing, batter. And he'd look at the pitcher, and he goes, go, oh, good pitch, pitcher, pitcher, yeah, you can do a pitcher, you can do it. And he just sat there the whole time, He just chawing and spitting and pulling down, and just having a great old time. And his dad is watching, and they're getting annihilated. I mean, they're getting destroyed by the other team. And his dad looks across the fence, he said, hey, he's his son, he said, aren't you discouraged? He says, why would I be discouraged, Dad? He says, you're down 25 to nothing. Oh, Dad, we haven't even been up to bat yet. (laughs) That's a different way of thinking. And I've really been convicted to think differently. As a body of Christ, I think we should. So, Father, thanks for the challenges. Thanks for your word. And, Lord, um, forgive me in the ways I've allowed myself to be conformed into this world, whether it's my values, my thoughts, whatever it is, even if I've just kind of taken on a a mentality of being a target, whatever it is, Lord, forgive me for that. Lord, I I want to be led by Your Spirit. I want to be empowered by You in my life. And I want to live in such a way As to have impact on the people and the world around me for Jesus Christ. I pray that, Lord, this week my life would be a living worship experience that would pour out glory and honor to you through my very life and my obedience. Thanks, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.